Holly Pilk Boys podcast. We're having a little chat about the old Ricky Gervais shows, obviously. I'm David Ferrier with Steve Mitchell. <laughs> We're two little Australian radio fellas. I've been a mad fan of these shows forever. This is Zach's first time listening through week by week as the show was originally broadcast. Today's show, Series 1, Episode 20, a.k.a. Carl Nearly Died. Broadcast the 13th of April 2002. Zach, hit me with your overall thoughts. Carl almost died, and we almost died of laughter. <laughs> I've got Carl's stories of nearly losing his life gave this show lots of life. <laughs> um, yeah. Was this the episode that we had to chart up against last week as which one's the best episode ever? Yeah. At the end of this episode, we will go to the podium. I think from this week, we'll try it for a while, see if it sticks. Might fall mm. by the wayside by like a couple of other segments in this show. Um of, of doing a podium of the top three shows so far. See, I don't know where it sits all time, but I will foreshadow that I think it had my favourite segment so far in it. Beautiful. We'll get to uh, all of that in the air check very soon. I noticed, besides the story uh, about Car- uh, Steve filming the pilot, this is 100% a Carl episode, besides that one talk break. Yeah, they kind of fluctuate, don't they? Sometimes... He's not super involved. Other times, it's the whole episode. So, uh, you know, there's a lack of a bit of consistency. It's almost like they don't really plan the show. <laughs> uh, did you hear at around the 23-minute mark the police siren in the background? I didn't. No. If you listen with headphones, I think um, you can hear around the 23-minute mark just a, a police siren rush by, which just speaks to how um, dodgy the XFM studios must have been, that you can still hear things from the street in the studio. Yeah, the idea, obviously, is that they're soundproof. That's the whole point. And usually when you go into studios, you know, it's a bit like a spaceship. The doors kind of go... Yeah, vacuum seal almost. Yeah, well, there's, there's even sometimes a double door. You know, you open one door and you, there's a little space in between, then there's another door. They take it quite seriously when, um, you know, most of the time it's just speaking, isn't it? So, I wonder sometimes if they have to go to those extremes because it's not as if it's like a music studio. I've given some dirty looks to producers who are being loud while we were on air. Cause it From does, outside the studio? Yeah, yeah, shouting and carrying on. First of all, because like... The show is on. The show's live. You should be paying attention, but also um, shouldn't be carrying on because soundproofing only goes so far, um, but certainly never something as, as drastic as just hearing what's going on outside. No. Uh, emails, carlypilkboyspod at gmail.com. Got a good one from Callum. If you put the XFM website link into the Wayback Machine... Uh, the Wayback Machine website. Are you familiar with the Wayback Machine? Yeah, I love where this is going. You can check out all the references from the shows about the website and you can choose what individual dates you'd like to see how the website looked. It's a very intre- it's very interesting and there's a bio for each presenter that you can read. There's a lot to explore. It's definitely worth checking out. Awesome idea. I haven't Have done, done it for yet, this Dave? one. No, I think I'll do it for the next episode. That sounds good. Callum. Send me the link when you when you have it. Also, I might take some screenshots or something. Um or we'll- it reminds me of an idea that I have generally, which is like, you know, at the moment how, or just generally in life, how like 50s cafes are a thing or a themed cafe of a certain time. I was wondering if the future of that might be like, hey, we've restored the original MySpace. Go check it out. And like you, uh, I wonder in 20, 30 years time, if our generation equivalent is like, of going back to your schoolyard kind of thing is to go back to your original social media. Or like how vinyl records have found their their niche little spot in the world that maybe vintage websites <laughs> yeah, yeah, will be, be the cool. thing. Like, hey, if you don't want to see Facebook how it is now, go to this one. You can go back to poking people. <laughs> uh, thank you for that, Callum. CarlyPilkBoysPod at gmail.com. Get in touch with anything. Questions, comments, observations. <clears throat> Let's move straight on to the air check. Series one, episode 20. Break one, the reality of working in a pre-Google world. When Ricky and uh, Steve talk about the article that's been written about them, Ricky Gervais and Steve Mitchell, 
the article full of inaccuracies. Ricky's favorite song <laughs> misquoted as "If You See a Sailor." The the Office set in Swindon. Um, this is the first time you've heard it, Zach. What did you make of it all? It's interesting that fake news has been around a lot longer. <laughs> you know, in a way, obviously the fake news now is a lot more destructive, isn't it? Mm. But um, it, it's unheard of just to misprint inaccuracies about quite a big star, like uh, accidentally, like not maliciously, just because they didn't do their due diligence. Um, yeah, that's why I don't think it's necessarily fake news. It's just uh, it's just bad work. And is incompetent Google, news. Did Google not exist? Surely Google existed. Obviously not in the way it does now. But when was Google invented? Uh, were people asking Jeeves in two thousand and two? I think so. Yahoo. I remember in grade two when I was in grade two. That was nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, I remember that my friend was a Google user. I was Yahoo. And it was kind of like Montague's and the Capulets. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm never going to be a Google user. <laughs> and then I backed the wrong horse there. <laughs> oh, that's a it's a real Romeo and Juliet yeah. story you got going there. Uh, yeah, okay. Yahoo was at its peak in t- in the year 2000. So I guess they have no excuse. I certainly remember it not being as ubiquitous as, yeah. as it's become. Like yeah, it wasn't no, a it verb yet. Yeah. To and Google it's, it's, things. And I imagine its power was very limited. Yeah. Break two. Bit of a tease break. Uh, Ricky went on a pub crawl with Carl. It's the first time that Ricky doesn't say that he broke the rules. They are just friends now. It's just normal to catch up with Carl. And what's the work. deal with uh, Steve not coming? Is that like a... Like, is he on the outs a little bit in that relationship? Uh, the, the relationship is more professional than friendly. I, I get that's what I get the idea of because you you hear later on about uh, New Year's Eve parties at Ricky's place. Steve wasn't there. His birthday. Really? Steve wasn't there. Going oh, to like cool events, but it doesn't seem to be a, a no, thing. No, 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 it doesn't seem to be issue, a problem. But I just assumed they were friends, like you know, personally. Yeah, I think they are, but just not necessarily. Like, I don't. I think a prerequisite to be Ricky's friend, it sounds like, is to be someone that he can abuse. <laughs> In for his own amusement, yeah. Someone who brings him—it's it, kind of uh, like the court jester. Yeah, it's entertain a, he, me. But Steve, as as uh, Ricky says at some point, Steve commands a bit more respect. He won't—he <laughs> won't indulge Ricky in the same way that Carl or his mate Robin, uh, Robin did. So Carl's the first time he met Ricky's friend Robin, who is a comedian, Robin Ince. Uh, who later <laughs> turns out Carl has a problem with him. Um, and they tease to Carl's quotes that he uh, quotes about life, that he, he's made one up, and we're going to see if Ricky and Steve can work out which one it is. Um, oh, that's I've written down. I've, I've just trying to remember. I write these notes, and sometimes I forget what they mean. But I've written, Carl gets angry that Ricky's attitude towards him has changed now that they're on air. Nice little insight there that Carl seems to think before the show started, Ricky was all positive and like, hey, this is going to be great, Carl. Yeah, cool. But then as soon as the microphones go on, piss taking. He um, feels like that. I think that reference is that he's misled him and maybe in a manipulative way to saying, because the way that they tease the segment is like, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah, because it's going to be so silly. (laughs) And... um, but Carl's ears prick up because he's like, no, 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 hang on. You told me off air that it was actually going to be a good segment. <laughs> but yeah. what's a good segment in this show? A good segment is something that gets a lot of laughs. So did Carl think that when they said it was going to be a good segment, they meant like... Uh, this is going to be really compelling radio. Yeah, like really uh, philosophical and really yeah, eye People are really going to be scratching their chins over this one. <laughs> No, good is Carl telling a ridiculous story or saying something completely surprising uh, and mad. So, break three. Uh, Ricky going hard on the DJ patter. I think maybe because they're they're approaching the end of this first series run. So, coming out of songs, doing the whole wordplay about the titles and stuff, which as someone who has worked in uh, hit radio, like hit music radio, and now on more sort of rock um Rock radio. It is tempting to do to do that stuff. 
that sort of thing. Like there's a song, it's a very famous song, but I'm blanking on the name of it. But at the end, the, the singer whispers, do you know what time it is? So tempting every time just to answer him because that's the end of the song and the start of your talk break. Yeah, I think it can be done well. I just, you don't want to lean on it too heavily. You know who's the best at uh, wordplay and those sort of limerick style radio DJing? Look him up. He's on Instagram and he posts air checks. I Zach, think I know do you, who you're talking about. Do you the follow American Broadway dude? Bill Lee? Yeah. Uh, I don't follow him, but I have seen those. There are <laughs> just classic kind of 80s style uh, music links or, or music breaks where kind of in 40 seconds or 15, 20 seconds, you know, it's like um, he's getting everything in there. Bit of wordplay, bit of sense of the day, he has the weather, maybe an event that's going on, traffic heading down the 305. And it all rhymes. It's all beautifully timed to hit the post of the song. It's um, it's incredibly corny. <laughs> But in the best, best way. And it's interesting too. I often think when I'm watching it, I'm like, if you're in the car, I wouldn't get a word of this. Like, I would have no idea what he's talking about. You have to pay very close attention to catch what he's saying. (laughs) Uh, They then move on to Steve back filming the comedy pilot for Cancun. Steve's been doing stunts this week with the guy who made Christopher Reeve fly as Superman. Now, it's been been a while since I've watched any of the original Superman, but doesn't that just mean he told Christopher Reeve, oh, see that box? Just lie on that on your stomach and put your arms out. Uh, probably. Well, rear projection at that time? Or were they using yeah. a blue screen maybe before the Made him fly. Screen? I don't well, know how much actual um, flying he did. Wasn't it the OG Star Wars that kind of introduced the blue screen? Didn't... Weren't they doing those explosions of the miniatures? Isn't that why they won all their awards? Oh, I don't know. I know it was it was in industrial light and magic ILM, and it was revolutionary for a lot of reasons. I don't know about so by the origins Superman, of the blue screen. I don't know if they were the first to do it, but I have seen behind the scenes where they're using some type of blue screen. Um, because then George Lucas went and updated all of the effects for later cuts, and it's actually quite hard to find original cuts now with... Uh, the original mm. special effects, which is sad because yeah. you want to see. Uh, I like the uh, the warmth of the old miniatures. Seeing the thick black lines around yeah. the outlines of the the like the Scroll. the windows of the Tie Fighters. And oh that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, different doesn't mean better. Wait, no, no, not at all. better improved. doesn't mean better. Improved doesn't mean better. Anyway. Um, Steve outlines what he's never been able to do as a glasses wearer. A little insight that we might be insensitive to or just ignorant about uh, if you don't wear glasses. You can never get in a mosh pit. You can never get in a fight. As Steve says later, he can never play rugby or box. Yeah. Interesting the flow-on effect that has. I'm sure at times you could use it to your advantage. If you didn't want to play rugby, you'd be like, sorry. My glasses. 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 But if you did want to do it, yeah, that'd be a bit of a bummer. Just take them off. Everything's a blur and just go go mental. <laughs> just start running and eventually you'll run into something. Did um, you play rugby when you were a rugby player? Nah, no, because I grew up in Perth, so it's all about AFL. Did you play AFL? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of years. I was one of those kids who cycled through every sport, starting with soccer, then... AFL, then I played baseball. I did yep. competitive trampolining. I have no, I have no, trophies. You didn't. Did you? I do. I have. Was I that have like a, doing flips and stuff. Yeah, but uh, I never. Of course, we do flips and stuff at like training, but <laughs> the competition level, I never got past the very early stages. So it was all just like bouncing up and down straight, landing straight on your as butt. You can. as straight as you can, hands up as straight as you can, doing a three sixty <laughs> as straight as you can. And then the people who were in the grades above me, they were doing the, the flips and stuff. And the embarrassing thing was, because me and my friends sort of got into it a little later, we were like early teenagers. The kids who were our age were doing the flips. We yeah. were up against kids younger than us. So, of course, I demolished them <laughs> in the, in the competition. My, my little seat drop was way tighter than theirs. My form was so much better. So, yeah, I've got a couple of trophies for trampolining. And then the last sport I played seriously 
was lacrosse. Oh my goodness! What a diverse sporting background. What now? Lacrosse being um, two f- things come to mind. One is a stick with a net on the end, yep. and you throw a ball around. The other is the sport where you're on the back of a horse and you're hitting a <laughs> you're hitting a ball. <laughs> That's along the polo. Ground. Polo. That's what La- I'm Lacrosse is ice hockey on the grass, and you throw the ball to yeah, each other. Yeah, no, we played that in uh, you know physical education at in school. Loved it. Did you did you play mod cross though, the one with no pads? Because lacrosse, yeah, yeah. you have like, a full it wasn't helmet. Contact. It wasn't contact. Yeah. So it was like when you caught the ball, I think you had to stay still, kind of like yes, netball. Yeah, like yeah, netball. Yeah, but lacrosse, I had the helmet, the the heavy gloves. The um, no shoulder pads, but uh, like kidney pads, because the idea is you swat you swat at the uh, opponent with the ball. Um, so I played that for like three years. I really enjoyed it. But then, then in my later ten years, I got interested in underage drinking and girls. So no trophies for that. I got a couple, I think, <laughs> and then I got some trophies for dr- like when I would go to drama classes. <laughs> really, they had trophies. Yeah, they did their know, own like, little Oscars in the style of a yeah, Academy Award, Director's Choice, or whatever, whatever it was. What, what, you what's your do trophy a bit of a speech? Like, uh, I don't do it for the re- awards, but it's nice to be nominated. Uh, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All that stuff started crying. I don't know. Not a big award winner. I played sport, played rugby league. We're, I'm from a rugby league town. Which is the a working class version of rugby union? Um, yeah, soccer and rugby union, surfing, skateboarding. Those are the main ones. Competitive surfing ever? Not competitive, no. Oh, okay. Um, I wonder what's happened to all those trophies, all my triumphs. When I first moved out of home, I was eighteen, and I remember looking at my trophies of all participation trophies from like under sixes soccer, and I was like, nah. I'll put them in a bag, put them in the cupboard. Got to the house. I was moving in with five other guys. The room next to me, my mate, had them all up on the wall. I'm like, oh, we made different decisions. You decided that they were important enough to make the make the jump. His I trophies was... from like un- same level, like under six. Yeah. Put... yeah. yeah. What a loser. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I don't think they lasted long. <laughs> I wonder if anyone out email us if you still have your trophies up, particularly if they're uh, participation trophies, particularly if they're nothing special. The only actual legitimate trophy probably was you got to keep the game ball and they put it in a cup if you got a hat trick in in cricket. And I got a hat trick once, not a very good bowler, never became a bowler. I just got lucky. So one was uh, an amazing catch by a fielder. One was like, you know, uh, I bowled someone. And then for the hat trick ball, I bowled a wide, but the guy charged it, so charged out of his crease. The wicketkeeper caught it and uh, stumped him, and that was my hat trick. So I'm like, I don't really know if I can claim that if you bowl a wide on the hat trick ball, and then the guy gets stumped. Was this the hat trick that afterwards your dad said, "Don't get too excited"? No, that was when I took a catch in the field. Oh, yeah. that's right. He wanted okay. to downplay how good my catch was. Maybe that's why you're not so across how many trophies you had. Because um, oh, yeah. you were discouraged from, from leaning into your accomplishments. I was discouraged from my dad once for when I was bowling. Apparently, I had no idea of this. Apparently, I, was, I continued to walk down the pitch after I bowled it in some way that illustrated I was being arrogant. But you know the scene in The Simpsons where uh, Mr. Burns is the coach and he keeps telling the baseball player to shave his sideburns and he keeps coming back with less less sideburns and he comes back at the end with a shaved head. And he's like, I don't know what you think sideburns are, Mr. Burns. But yeah, I was kind of like that. I was like, I don't... I, I, he's like, you know what you're doing. He's like, he's like, it looks really arrogant, mate. He's like, it looks really arrogant. You don't want to be known for that. And I'm like, I don't... I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, I'm, I honestly, I think it must have looked like I was staring them down after I bowled the ball. You know, like where some bowlers will walk up to the batter and like go eye to eye. But I was like, yeah, you won't do it at Mick Jagger strut or not on purpose. Anyway, do it. I was like, I don't like what I'm <laughs> doing the fingers of the yeah. eyes. I'm watching you. <laughs> I mean, there are other times, certainly when I was wicketkeeper, well known, well known for being a shit stirrer. I was complained about by a number of teams. Um, who said that the wicketkeeper won't shut up between balls. 
Um, but at this stage, no, I wasn't doing that yet. What what kind of things we would you say? Was it just whispering things? You suck, you suck, you suck. No, 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 no. I'd just engage them in conversation just to put them... No, we'd just have chats. It'd be like, what's your team like? What's you been up to? It occasionally, occasionally got a little more heated when I felt like they should uh, walk. If they, if I felt like they nicked it and the umpire, um, if the umpire said they didn't, I would ask them directly. I'd say, did you hit that, mate? And they'd say, no. And i go, yeah, you did. Walk. It got it. <laughs> it got a little heated on a number of times there, but uh, but otherwise you were just trying to be friendly, uh, and no. you got complaints. <laughs> I, people would walk off the field Sir? and I'd throw the bat into their uh, kit bag, and they'd yell, "That effing wicket keeper!" <laughs> wow, bad losers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was a smartass, certainly. You can imagine, and uh, and a real show off. Yeah, with the way you just walk down that crease. Uh, Steve mentions the risk assessment while filming those stunts, the infamous risk assessment. Uh, and he sums up that they had written that basically, oh, we promise it will be okay and we'll advise you if that changes, which has, in my limited experience with risk assessments, that's how it always is. Anytime you're going to like, because I did, I'd film was one of my, like, it was my major for a, for a while at university well, you and you always had to do it. Dave, Dave. Oh, but I never, I never was, I was always just a go get this, go get me coffee. Come on, man. Compared to me, you're on film sets. You met some. Yeah, uh, no, but I had nothing to do with those film, those risk assessments. But I can only assume it's the same thing where it's like, okay, well, when you, we're within one kilometer of a road. So I guess it's a risk that if someone goes crazy and drives one kilometer off from where they're meant to going uh someone could get hit by a car so to mitigate that risk we'll keep our eyes open it's that it's that sort of stuff yeah uh steve was also told that they'll probably never use the shot that they filmed and then they tease to carl's near-death experience so break four carl met robin who apparently had worms as a kid and his mum held um ham near his anus and this is, we've almost already touched on it. Ricky sounds like a nightmare to be friends with. And maybe that's why Steve doesn't hang out with him when they're not yeah, working. Yeah, he does seem to be, he just winds up everyone around him. Yeah. Without, you know, kind of it seems relentless. Yeah. And you watch the behind the scenes of the making of uh, editing The Office and extras and, and uh, their editor... He like wrestle. You see him wrestling him to the ground, and you've seen all that stuff, right? And dressing no, him up with office no. supplies. He just gets like cardboard and paper and makes him like a bishop's hat and like sticky tapes him to a chair. Uh, it's funny. It is funny to watch, but it's it would be it would be uh, pretty degrading to to be the subject of it. Um, Carl tells a story of the man who wrapped bacon around his head and says famously, "Everyone likes the smell of bacon." You can't argue there. Even as I'm a vegetarian, coming up five years as a vegetarian, I was at a cafe this morning and I could smell the bacon. I was like, oh, smells good. It's it's hard to resist that smell. Yeah. And they- uh, I wonder, do you think there's an ethical issue with being a vegetarian if I enjoy- I mean, I can't help if I enjoy the smell. Am I- am I- I'm enjoying the smell of an animal that I'm- I rally against the killing of usually- I don't... I, what, what could you do about it? I don't know. It just seems like a bit of a contrast, doesn't it? Am I allowed to say I enjoyed the smell? Well, you do. Yeah. I'm just being honest. You could lie. <laughs> Yuck. That delicious smelling fried bacon. Um, Carl is right, though. Uh, in 1996, I've got this story. It might even be the one that, that Carl is quoting. Because this story is from 1996. Doctors have patched up soldier Lee Miller in a bacon bandage to lure a jungle worm stuck in his head. Rashes have been plastered to his scalp in the hope the little wriggler will pop out for a bite to eat. The white maggot, which has been nesting in his scalp for six weeks, yesterday stuck its head out for the first time. Lee, 18, said it's become something of an unwanted pet and refuses to go away. So I've given it a nickname, Jungle Jim. That's very disturbing. Mm. The Lao Gai Chi Worm. Um, and then, uh, oh, just going to, into the song, the end of this break, 
they mentioned the nepotism that uh, they're playing a track off the soundtrack for Teachers 2, which Ricky's partner Jane worked on. Zach, yeah. what do you reckon Jane is up to these days? I assume still working. Do you think? In doing the same thing, I imagine. Soundtracks. What? <laughs> no, she was a producer on, on the... Yeah, she I was, thought she... Oh, she produced on the film. Oh, sorry. On the I TV you, show. I thought it was like a music producer. No, no. Oh, so, uh, she was yeah. a TV producer. Well, is she still producing TV? What do you What do you reckon? Yes. No. She's a published author. Oh, there you go. Go to what? Jane... Fiction? Jane Fallon. Yeah. She's got like a number of best-selling books. Fallon, like Jimmy Fallon. .co.uk. What a high-achieving uh, partnership. Yeah. What being creative and not having kids can do for you <laughs> over the years, particularly right. if one creates one of the most iconic comedy characters of all time. Um, David Brent Life on the Road is on SBS On Demand at the moment. Okay, I'll check it out. I, I haven't watched it. I started watching it last night. Is that the first time you've seen it? Never seen it. No, really? I can't. I because I, I, I gave up on any new Ricky Gervais material a long time ago. But uh, I fell asleep because I started watching it late. But um, we should we should try to watch it this week and then talk about it next week. Okay, that sounds good. Break five. Carl's near death experiences. This whole break is uh, pretty iconic. It's a bit of a landmark break. Um, so, Carl's life lesson uh, of just wrapping up the bacon thing. If you're ever in the jungle, always have a bit of Danish. Good life advice from Carl. Um, the first one, Carl's first near-death experience, the Mr. Freeze Pop story. It got to the point where Carl gave up fighting and felt very calm, which you said you had a friend who nearly drowned who felt the same way. Didn't you tell me that? Mm, a no. friend who like went swimming at the Gold Coast and had to be rescued. Woke up in, woke up in, oh, maybe it was someone else. No, not me. Woke up in the hospital. Uh, Apparently, English guy, I think, who just came to Australia and went to the ocean and then woke up in hospital. Uh, But he remembers, he uh, remembered as things were going really bad, uh, there was a point where he just suddenly went very calm. Okay. Something a little... Have you seen, uh, have you seen... No, this is too dark. It it's, just Have I ever seen someone people. drown in real life? Or no. it does. Uh, no, there's just a reference to this in a film, uh, The Prestige. But if you've seen the movie, you'll understand the reference. Well, yeah. We uh, won't the, go into it. I understand. Because the... uh, it'll be a bit of a possible... The spoiler. Uh, well, it came out ages ago. And the, yeah. my problem with The Prestige, now that oh, we're okay, onto we it... Go is it is such a great movie until the very end, the reveal is, it was magic the whole time. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I'm fine with it. Doesn't bother Zach. That's not a reveal that's foreshadowed in the very first scene. But The it's opening a- shot is a foreshadowing of that. But it's about the mastering of deception. And there's nothing fantastical about it. It is just like this insane dedication to their craft to pull That's the true. rug over a, everyone's it eyes. It is a flaw. Does it detract from the movie for me? No. I still enjoyed it. Love David Bowie's portrayal of yeah, Nikola right. Tesla. To bring it back to the Ricky Gervais show, Ricky's hero, David Bowie. Uh, so, the Mr. Freeze Pop story. And he, he said he, he felt like he'd been given a second chance. Have you you've put yourself in some pretty dangerous situa- situations with surfing? Have you ever felt genuinely at risk, and then when you escape it, you go, whew, and you have that sort of like relief, yeah. not and life suddenly point, feels a bit more precious? No, not to that point, but certainly the point of uh, massive relief, and you know, lying down on the uh, the shoreline, panting. I've had that where you're just like, some it can in the ocean. Uh, you know, things turn pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't, especially with big surf, you can't actually take anywhere near as much as you might think. <laughs> like, if a couple <laughs> of big waves hit you and you're in that, like those guys who do it in the massive waves, they just must be incredibly fit. Um, like, 
yeah, I've had a few instances where like you're in the whitewash, so you can't get much resistance. So like you're kicking around and not much is happening. And if you're there for, you know, five minutes, it can, it gets, it, I've had, so I've had moments, just a tiny moment of, I was like, this could go real bad. And I was able to get out of it. Like, so one instance I was getting, um, I just had to just take a wave in on the rocks and kind of just take the hit. Cause I was like, I need to get out of the ocean because I'm struggling and I'm going to be in big trouble if I don't do it. So I was with my cousin and we both were like, we're like, we're going in. And we just took these, like these waves in on the rocks and just got like all cut up and stuff, but never, you know, I've had moments where you, you have elevation, but not to the point that I thought that I was going to die. Surfing is the stupidest activity when you start to think about all that sort of risk. Well, water is extremely dangerous. Because ha- when you're on the wave and you're flying down and it feels like you're flying, it's so that, fun. That is, that is it. That is how intoxicating that feeling is that you put up with all, like, the you know, the sunburn risk of skin cancer, the ever-present risk of sharks, other surfers who are the worst. But um, if, you, if you, you can mitigate those risks, like what I'm talking about is like I, it's unlikely, actually, in saying that, I had this about three months ago where... The probably the closest I got was three months ago where I didn't have a board and I went body surfing really, really far out, way further than I could thought I could swim. And I had to go through a long gutter. And so along this kind of a gutter in its shore and it was probably, I don't know, 100 meters or something. And because I didn't have a board, usually when you're surfing, it, once you get out through all the waves, you can sit up on the board and catch your breath. But because I was swimming, I had little opportunity to catch my breath. That was probably the closest. And that was the first time I had put myself in a risk since having a baby. And I came to shore and I was like, never again. Never again. Never am I doing that again. Because it only takes that moment. It's the moment, yeah. and it might just be me, but like the moment where I suddenly feel like I'm not in control. I yeah. just immediately panic. And that's what you're not supposed to do, but it's what your instincts, that's how but they kick in. Generally, I was going to say, you can mitigate that risk by if you go out in nice conditions, the small to medium is very, it's pretty, like, obviously there's still risks. They're yeah, dramatically yeah. reduced. That's it. Be a fair weather surfer. Um, the paper round was the best job that Carl ever had. I liked and, this. And he used to get up at 4.30 a.m., which is Brecky Radio hours, <clears throat> but he would do it quickly so he could watch the Pink Panther. Um. He yeah. So first time you've heard this story, what'd you make of it? Uh, very endearing. I, the things he said, I actually thought that was a nice philosophy on life. You know, the things that he could appreciate from what a lot of people would consider uh, not a great job. I thought those were all really cool. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that you know he appreciated that he um, was working by himself. He set his own hours. I was like, good on you, man. He just doesn't want to work, work with other people. Just I liked it. And I, liked his, I even liked his idea of that he had to get up early before Pink Panther because he wanted to watch Pink Panther without the load <laughs> on his mind of work coming up. I get that. I get that. I don't want to watch a show with the idea that I have to go somewhere right as it ends. Mm. Uh, he says that he was 30... F- like, so, the whole story about climbing out through the window. He says he was 30 feet up in the air, which is nine meters how high was his family's second story? He's got that wrong. Yeah, that has to be an exaggeration. Yeah, massively. Still dangerous, but... Um, they then get on to when Carl's dad challenged him to kick his height and he landed on his uh, back and he sums it all up with that's why he thinks he's going to die of something terrible like cancer because he doesn't check his balls. <laughs> and may I say, a bit of a revelation for people. I don't think I've revealed this. As a testicular cancer survivor myself, what I I lost a nut to uh, testicular cancer when I was twenty two. Check Are your you balls. Serious? Yeah, hundred percent serious. Yeah. Have I not told Dave you this? And I, what you might not know is um, Dave and I might not know each other as well as you might think we do. We met like a month before this podcast started. <laughs> So, it was a little longer than that was. It wasn't much longer. And we'd so, been surfing a couple of times. Wow, that's wow! I didn't know that. Maybe. Yeah, when I was when I was twenty two, so it was over ten years ago now. And but, uh, you know, was it a type of thing where um, 
but you couldn't well, ignore. I imagine it. there was a lump or something. Yeah, yeah. no, it, yeah. it started as a little lump, and then then more little lumps and gnarled bits showed up all over it. It was one of those like it's just to like to so not everyone suddenly thinks that they they might have it. You could not deny it. It was a hard, hard, very pronounced lump, um, which I then proceeded to ignore for nearly a year because wow. I, well, not quite. I, I went to the doctor, to the GP. He said, nah, it seems fine to me. I went, sweet. I went back two months later because I was just still, it was still in my mind. I was like, it's still there. It definitely wasn't there before. And doctor had another feel. He said, and I quote, if it was cancer, you'd know. And I went, cool. Because at the time, you don't want to think, I might have something seriously wrong with me. The doctor just told me I'm fine. I'm fine. You. I then went to Europe for three months on backpacking with a friend. The whole time, just every time I was in the shower, my memories of Europe are crazy drunken parties and wild times and sightseeing and hostels and being in the shower going, it doesn't feel right. There's just still something wrong. But the doctor told me I'm okay, so I'm okay. Uh, Then when I got back from Europe, uh, I went and got an ultrasound because the doctor the second time did give me a referral to get an ultrasound. He said, look, you've, you've come about this twice, so I don't think there's anything wrong, but take this ultrasound just in case. And... At the, when I, I was like, I'm sick of thinking about this. I'm going to go get the ultrasound and then I'll feel great um, because I'll get, told be that I, I'll get told that there's nothing wrong. It's just something that happens to some guys. Anyway, that's not how it went. It, it, was, uh, it was bad news. And I got sent back, directly back to that GP to then get him to refer me to, to a urologist. So he hadn't heard from me for about like eight months. And I rocked up on his door, just comp- like oh, in his reception area, just completely like my, my jaw on the floor, eyes wide, holding these scans. And um, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, turns out I was wrong. Sorry. Uh, did you apologize? Have- like, what do you do? No, that? no, 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 he didn't. I think that would have. That's a funny thing. Like, I, I've never held it against him because like it was his, his sincere opinion. Yeah, um, true. And it worked. It all worked out in the end. If I, if I, if it was a bit more serious, maybe I would have um, had different feelings. But yeah, it, it was all worked out in the end. And the other thing is, like, in terms of successful cancer treatment, testicular is right up there. Oh, it is. Okay. You have to be pretty unlucky to lose your life to it. Like it's it's like a ninety percent cure rate yeah, so right. um so yeah it hadn't it hadn't left the 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 testicle so i had a had a surgery one dose of chemo and then um the the really scary part was the constant checkups because that's the part where you're like i'm healthy i don't have cancer anymore but if i as soon as i walk into this office with this oncologist i could walk out with cancer again because mm. um, I might get told something. So that was the stressful part. But And does over time, do those appointments get further and further? Yeah, yeah. every oh. two months, first year, every three months, second year, every six months, third year, and then once in the fourth year, once in the fifth year, and then you're done. Because the chances of, of it recurring drop dramatically over time. Mm-hmm. So um, I have a fake testicle. There you go. A little really? bit about me. Yeah, at the time I was 22. I was like, no, I don't want it to look different. Just put a put a put a fakie in there. Uh, I wouldn't make the same decision now because um, it is weird, and uh, I don't know who makes them. What they think testicles look like, but I have. You know, like you know, you know those like uh, gumball machines where you get bouncy balls from them. You put like a coin in and it rolls down. It's bouncy ball shaped. It's perfectly circular. I'll show you next time we go surfing. I won't. <laughs> anyway. So, did you have some foresight on this? Do you get to pick? Uh, no. No, they did. No, well, they showed just... me what one looks like. And I was sitting there with my mum in yeah, the sure, office. I was like, yeah, go on. The other thing was, like, after the surgery, he showed me a photo oh. of my testicle cut in half. Oh. I was like, I, didn't, I don't need to see that. He said, nice. just to like prove it to me. Like, see all the cancer? I was like, yeah, awesome. Thanks, man. No, that's, you know, I, I'll take your word for it. 
Um, but yeah, everything still works. Can still have kids. You actually, the second is just a backup. Really? Wow, I'm learning so much. Yeah. Went to the sperm. Stuff. Went to the sperm bank a couple of times. That's a story for another day. Um, <laughs> to uh, to check that everything worked, or because well, be, uh, you need to put things on freeze. Just yeah, on freeze. Yeah, because e- even one dose of chemo, it's unlikely, but yeah, there's right. a chance that fertility won't return after that. Mm. Um, so I've I've got a batch on ice that my parents are still paying for. Uh, they're paying for the rent for a potential future grandchild. <laughs> And when will that stop? Do you think when you have a if you have a grandchild? I, I guess if I if I have kids, well, maybe anyway. I'll just go back to that and go like, well, that was my young virile twenty two yeah. year old, yeah, batch. Um, anyway, that that talk break the the Carl's near death experiences went for nearly twelve minutes or around the twelve minute mark. What would have happened, Zach, if you and Dom did a twelve minute talk break? We did close to ten sometimes. Um, and to be honest, they were fine with it. We oh. listened back to it. The bosses didn't care. We were um, asking if uh, we used to do this segment, like how, I forget exactly what it's called, but basically the idea was we we're trying to look for very particular things. I like we asked once, this is at one in the morning. Are you listening on a boat? We're looking for someone listening on a boat. And there was like one guy who was like a fisherman out in the middle of the ocean. He's like, yeah, I've got a little transistor radio. And it was like, and one of them was, are you listening overseas? And we were really surprised because we were in the middle of the night. We were getting calls all around the world, man. Like um, in all these different countries. And it was cool because like, you know, radio, there's all this texture in different people's voices. So we're hearing all these different accents and it's, you know, what time is it there? Everyone having a great time doing that. Anyway, yeah, that blew out to like 10 minutes because people kept calling and we were like, you know. Uh, you we must have excited. given them we a different excited. phone number, right? Because you can't yeah, call the yeah, competition that's line. right. That's right. Uh, we gave them a, oh, we said contact us, you know, uh, you know, email us or whatever and we'll call you. I think maybe we did that. Wow. That's a really yeah, cool was, idea. It was really surprising. And then um, and it was also surprising to hear why people were listening. Uh, so lots of people in the UK had been put onto our station because of Hamish and Andy had been there and they had done something with Christian O'Connell. And so then we were on the same station as Hamish and Andy. So, you know, they had got used to the the uh, frequency or the website and then they liked it because they worked at, you know, the radio there, they were working at weird hours and stuff and they wanted to hear like, uh, you know, a late night show or something like that. Or, or they for them, it was their breakfast show yeah. or whatever at the time yeah. it works. That's what, when I was doing mid-dawns radio, that's what my boss told me. Look, for some people, you are their breakfast show. Which is just one of those like the oh, uh, bakers and the nurses. Nice, but not not true. <laughs> thing. You're their breakfast show. Keep your talk breaks under thirty seconds. <laughs> uh, so uh, moving on to the break six, they return to the quotes. Um, back to the uh, the Neil Armstrong thing. Carl believes the the moon landing was faked, um, and they talk about the 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 thing that. Neil Armstrong said when he got back on the on the the, the shuttle or the spaceship uh, about his neighbour getting a blowjob. Um, I looked it up on Snopes, which is like the fact checking thing. That's their whole thing is they fact check thing things. The story about Mister Gorski is uh, how they refer to it, not um, whichever name that Carl uses. I forget. The story about Mister Gorski is false. Any doubts Thank about you. the about the uh, veracity of this legend are laid to rest by the NASA transcripts of the Apollo 11 mission, which record no such statement having been made by Armstrong. Armstrong himself said in late 1995 that he first heard the anecdote delivered as a joke by a comedian. There you go. There you go. Like so many things around the moon landing, it's fake. Like the moon landing itself. Am I right, Zach? Am I right? Well, yeah, I heard that there's like you can see a certain thing on one of the films um, that just they just couldn't have done it apparently. And I you're just, just you're recently. convinced that's all it took yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I will. I can recommend all that stuff. Um, the what's it, the MythBusters guys? They yeah. did a whole episode on the moon landing. It's yeah. really interesting. I'm sure it's on YouTube. That's good. 
Uh, and, oh, little snapshot of the time. Uh, before they go into the song, the bootleg, they encourage everyone to hit record on their tape players. <laughs> How quaint. Uh, I used to do that for songs. Record them Make on tape, tape. Off the radio. Yep. Break seven, White Van Carl. Um, Carl's, Carl's crush, David Beckham, has a broken foot. Um, you just get little hints that Carl is in love with David Beckham. Really, really digs him. Uh, the son printed a photo of his foot. The million, $1.5 million apartments on the cruise ship. Uh, any of these topics, you know, what did they do for you, Zach? I, I loved the joke. Well, it wasn't really presented as a joke, but the idea of a cruise ship being so big that there were <laughs> neighborhoods, some more rough than the others. That's one of place. Carl's best, like funniest lines, I think. It's so funny. It's very funny. Um, even just that idea is interesting. I like the idea of like, to me, that's such a textured world that like a, yeah. a, a cruise ship or, or this artifact, it reminds me of like a spaceship. It could be so big that there'd be different, you know, languages or different accents. Different classes or like, uh, well, yeah, well, I, I guess suppose that, that is like Titanic. <laughs> um, it sounds like, you know what it sounds like, Zach? A great idea for a TV show. Let's do it. Well, yeah, <laughs> cruising might become a thing of the past now that, uh, you know, in a COVID world. I would never put anything between retirees and cruisers. Doesn't matter how bad the plague is, they will they will go for it. Um, Steve briefly... Oh, did you pick up that Steve briefly mentioned the hot air balloon idea and Carl squashed it and moved on right away? What what happened to that? I didn't even notice that they stopped talking about the hot air balloon idea. I wonder if, uh, pardon the pun, the air just came out of it a little bit in the sense of uh, Ricky, you know, I feel like Ricky's really pushing it. I imagine he latches onto ideas very quickly. I can also imagine him going off them really quickly. Yeah. And I wonder if he was just like, ah, too hard. Yeah, they didn't. I've but- had my enjoyment. He One day he thought, I'm not actually going to enjoy it. The idea of it is more fun for me than actually sitting there watching. Doing the work and actually yeah. going through through with it. But it's fun. I relate to that. That's what I reckon too. Sometimes oh, I'm, I'm constantly like, oh, I don't actually that. want to do it. I just want to talk about doing it. That's It's a miracle that we're up to episode 20 of this podcast because <laughs> that's all I do is I get excited about ideas and then go, oh, too much work. Well, and that's then- what um, I remember uh, on Comedians in Cars, Howard Stern said his favorite part is when a new radio show is announced. He goes, everyone congratulates you and you haven't done anything yet. He's like, it's the best day. The press release goes out. I'm getting all these messages of people congratulating me and I haven't done anything. And he goes, and then I have to do the work. And he goes, that's the bad part. He's yeah. like, I just want to do the announcement of the radio show. <laughs> uh, Carl's idiotic concept of dropping ice in water. One of the stupidest things he, yeah, he, he ever that's, says. That's That one lacks. You know, sometimes there's a little bit of truth in what he's saying. That one is just so... Like, they even struggle for a while to refute it because they don't know how to kind of put their words together. Ricky does well in the end where he's like, yeah, but a cup doesn't turn to ice when you put ice cubes in it. I'm using my fables. Use your brain instead. (laughs) Uh, White Van Carl, they continue in the next break with the Queen Mum send-off and Carl's... Uh, morbid idea to cut her up and drive her drive her around. Or, yeah, sorry, to cut morbid. her up so people can visit different parts of her. Uh, Carl's joke about Liz Hurley hiding out at Elton John's place. Too much lying low. That was a problem in the first place. What um, genuine what's that a reference to? What's that a reference to? I, didn't I think she had a baby joke. and was being hassled by the press or something. Oh, I don't know. So she was laying low. Yeah. I thought it was like a pun, as in that was someone's last name, like Lohan, like Lindsay Lohan, like Lindsay laying low or something. I was trying to figure no, out. It is, it's actually not that good in terms of word, yeah, right. wordplay because too much laying low is as sort of a euphemism for having sex. Right. Um, it's not Carl's greatest. Uh, break nine, they go through Carl's happiness quotes. One of them is... This was is, my favorite thing that the show's ever done. Oh, cool, cool. Uh, now, be honest, did you identify which... Carl's was right away. Uh, yes, and for the same reason that Ricky points out, it's just a synonym of the second one. <laughs> yeah. It's like a worse version of the rainbow one, which they then okay. So so he he tells them the three the three quotes. One of them he's made up, and then in break ten, 
um, they disappoint Carl by letting him know how quickly they worked it out. Um, I think why I liked it is because he's so invested in it. He's prepared it. It's a good mechanic. It's a classic mechanic. I don't know if it was a classic mechanic at the time. Uh, well, they reference that a TV show does it, don't they? Um, but he's so invested in it. It's executed so well. But the best thing is he doesn't... He's not deterred with them saying that they guessed it straight away and saying why it wasn't good. He keeps... He has fresh reasons. He keeps coming back. He's like, no, no, no. You guys don't get it. He's like, this is why it's good. And... And... It's just uh, keeps digging the hole deeper. Like it's, it, he's not clearing anything up. But they do concede. It's almost like it, they're, they're worried it's going to become a real point of contention. That like he might get genuinely pissed off if they're too harsh on him. So like, okay, all right, I see, I see what you mean, Carl. Oh, that's really sweet. And it, it is very interesting too. I don't understand how Carl. T- doesn't see how that's not the exact same quote. I know. That's a rainbow one. <laughs> uh, a landmark moment I've put down is that Ricky asked the audience to write down everything Carl has ever said because we could publish it. Uh, I'll just say now that that, that is in my uh, key phrases section, which has made did, a return because did, that is what they ended up doing. Yeah, I was going to say, did they ever do a book? The World of Carl Pilkington. Yeah. Where and it's just quotes, is it? Yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's all his theories. Just uh, from the sh- have they rewritten them, or are they just directly from the show? Uh, no, so I, oh, man, I should get a hold of them because I haven't, I haven't flicked through it in ages. But I think that one is more sort of like a guide to Carl's view of the world. But then they do, I think, publish the transcripts of the podcasts. Yeah, right. Or maybe that maybe I'm confusing the two and it's the same thing. Uh where they do that. And it is just like Carl, what he says, Ricky, how he responds. And that's a book. That just what a world. It is like the the, the old comedy radio shows releasing albums of just some of their sketches, some of their air checks, just like money for old rope. Um is a good book though. Hey, here's something. At the end of this break, Steve mentions his housemate is in a band and they're about to play one of their songs. Uh, Fujia and Miyagi? Miyagi. Miyagi. I looked him up. Zach, still a band. Really? Wow. A, a and, British- uh, making money, do you think? Like, do they were they big enough to support themselves? Uh, I didn't get that far in. I was just... They have a Wikipedia page, so... Yeah, that's pretty big. So, it says they're a British group. Um, the current lineup consists of yada, 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 yada. They've released eight studio albums. Their past members, here's the important part. Their past members who joined in 2002, which is when this episode is from, Matthew Collins and Matthew Avery. So one of those Matthews I would put my money on was Steve's housemate. Good uh, investigation work there. Thank you. the bottom of that. It's like, uh, what's that thing, you know, uh, seven degrees of separation? How many degrees of separation are there? Six degrees. Six degrees. Of Kevin Bacon. Seven's the sequel. But you know how, like, how all these different people are linked to this show? Yeah. It's like, that's you it. Know, these bands and these uh, shows and well, these TV shows. and there's the, the, there's the Game of Thrones book, The World of Ice and Fire, which is all about the histories of everyone in the world, like all the families and stuff. It's really interesting. And they go through, like, what happened before the events of Game of Thrones. I feel like by the end of this, I could probably write a book, The World of the Ricky Gervais Show, and go like, uh, Steve's housemate, Matthew um, Collins, who enjoyed doing workout videos with Steve and was in a band. Uh, Break 11. I sometimes sometimes think about this. It's like, I wonder if they realize how much they're revealing because they're not actually telling that many personal stories. But like, if you did map all these things you learn, it'd be quite a detailed kind of... Uh, snapshot of their lives 100% I would say no and for them to find out how many people are this interested yes I reckon would be pretty mortifying Mm. I Uh, think the next break could be quite problematic on this point exactly because I don't think they would stand by particularly Steve and Carl and Ricky um, but to a lesser extent well, the next I would break dare say is... they do not stand by the things that they said and laughed about. No. 
um, no, back in these days. Not at all. And this next one is a great example of that. It is because a it is a legitimate crime. <laughs> <laughs> like this is something that he probably should have gone to jail for. <laughs> Probably should have served time or like at least I don't know what the punishment is, but like it's pretty bad. It's bad. Yeah. When you actually think about it and you <laughs> you think about it more than just a, as a, a a shocking but hilarious because of how shocking it, it is, it's not great. It is not. No, it's good. horrible. It's horrible. It's very uncomfortable. It's <laughs> a horrible thing to happen. It's very sad. Um, it's. It feels like that. It's from a hundred years ago. Yeah, but that was it. What? What era? Like, because Carl tells a story about his dad driving a bus and the way they dealt with one of the children who was misbehaving. Um, yeah, yeah it just uh, sounds like something from like a Victorian era. Yeah, so uh, as as Carl puts it, uh, the forest gum people. Um, it, one was causing trouble. Carl's dad put him in a wheelie bin uh, for like an hour or something. I, I don't think Carl's dad or Carl have had any training as a support worker. No, for people with disabilities, um, and certainly Carl has not had uh, any sort of education around. Um, <laughs> how to talk about them without being tremendously offensive. Ricky has yeah, well, to say, stop of... stop saying it. Yeah, right. Um, um, yeah, even for the time, which, you know, uh, even Carl and Steve, uh, no, sorry, Ricky and Steve use a lot of language that would be considered offensive now, and they're pulling up Carl. Mm. You know, so that's an indicator of how offensive he's being. Um, even he was being offensive at the time. And, yeah, the story's horrible. <laughs> it's just so uncomfortable. So, it's, yeah, just from... It's cruel, bad, bad, bad. Yeah. And then I do like... So, I've been keeping the time... I put little time codes next to each note. It only takes about a minute and a half before Carl realises he probably shouldn't have told that story. <laughs> yeah, his tone changes. <laughs> Jesus. I, I didn't, I didn't even want to say it. that. Um, uh, and then they wrap up on uh, the second story of Carl's dad being uh, completely mad and unreasonable uh, when he just dropped off the, the group of women in the middle of nowhere because they were annoying him. So, he again, wasn't asked like to illegal. do it again. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, funny note to end on. So, how do we chart it, you know, against last week? Last week was uh, Horse in the House. Uh, this is what I'd say. We have to put these on a podium, right, of the episodes. I think Carl's, um, what is he, uh, you know, where he presents the different quotes. I think that's my favorite segment that's ever happened. However, as an episode, I think the Horse in the House is just more iconic. I've got just Horse in the House as number one. I've got this one as number two. And then third, <clears throat> episode 15, Carl's brother. Okay. So, when you say, because when I'm kind of looking at how iconic they are, but like how, re- how you can recall them with just a few words. And I think horse in the house is going to be hard to beat. Yes. Just because that, you know exactly what we're talking about there, don't you? Yeah. Whereas if you go, you know, this one, if you go Carl's quotes, you're like, what? He's had a few quotes. What were they? Yeah. I've got, I put Carl's near-death exper- experiences. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Carl's brother. And I think it is, it's the easy recall and then my immediate sort of memory. Um, and the story of Carl's brother going to the shops for a yeah, pack of true. cigarettes yeah. in a yeah. tank yeah. is and pretty... the image of the tank going down the road <laughs> pretty, pretty funny. <laughs> Uh, yeah, did, I'm happy with that. So, so your favorite bit was the was the hundred percent the quotes, um, the whole segment. Even before he gets to his, when what does he say? He, he has a little precursor to one of them of like, um, uh, I think, or, or something like that. 
you know, he goes like, I think that you can't have a rainbow without the rain. And just like he tries to throw him off a little bit. Mm. The whole thing's very funny. Yeah. And when he points out that he he's like, and remember, I'm going to be looking down, but I might not be breathing. <laughs> and they're very like, yeah, yeah, no, we get, we get it. We get it, man. <laughs> I, I just can't go past the single line of um, the cruise ship so big that some of them, oh. that they have rough areas. It's just so fun. And it just immediately paints this hilarious picture. Uh, and it's so absurd. All right, that is it for episode 20. Next week, episode 21, Carl is going to the BAFTAs with Steve and we also get his James Bond impression. Uh, We do also get Carl's lateral thinking problems that he has also come up. So this week it was quotes. Next week it's lateral lateral thinking problems. So I'll leave you with this, Zach. Uh, It's a why. You You have to explain why. So there's a guy who's uh, at the end of a long work day and he's heading off to bed. Right before he hops into bed, he turns on the light. Why? Why would he turn on the light and then go to bed? Uh, He's a moth. (laughs) We'll find out the answer next week on the Carly Pilk Boys. Contact us, carlypilkboyspod at gmail.com. Zach Manda, Z-A-C-H-M-A-N-D-E-R on TikTok and Instagram. David Ferrier Cartoons on Instagram. Zach, thank you so much. See you on the next episode. You too. See you, Dave. Bye. Bye.